Welcome, everybody. Today's guest, Mr. Scott Birdall, prospector and geologist, CEO and director of Snowline Gold Corp. That's SGD on the CSE. We're chatting today about the Yukon home prospecting and gold. Welcome, everybody. Uh, new day at uh, Mind in America, and we have a new guest, Mr. Scott Birdall. Hello, Scott. Hey, Janet. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Uh, awesome. Yeah. Happy to be up here in Whitehorse and happy to be on the podcast. Well, you know, it's it's great uh, having you on the podcast. We've known each other. Um, I don't know how long we've known each other. Uh, over 10 years? Yeah, it's been more than a decade now. Um, yeah. I think uh, I think I first met Bill in probably 2009. Okay. And, and that would have been around the same time. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, for the benefit of of people that don't know, uh, Bill is my husband, and um, he and your dad um, knew each other before you guys got involved in the Yukon. That's right. Yeah, I think they were likely uh, working on uranium uh, stuff down in uh, Wyoming and South Dakota. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, Bill has put together some impressive things in that space, and then. Uh, the next step, the evolution was uh, was gold in the Yukon. Yes, I, I I brought Bill up when I was dating him, thinking that I was uh, I'd already been working outside of the territory and I was gone. And I met this guy that absolutely loved the place and and insisted on staying. So after uh, after dealing with the uh, the letdown, <laughs> it was uh, it was a great time. It was a really great time. Awesome. Well, we're certainly happy that you dragged him north. So um, here's a funny story. Uh, the first time Bill came up to visit me in the Yukon, uh, we went to Skagway for the weekend, which is what everybody does. They go to Alaska for the weekend, right? Yeah. And um, we stopped to take some pictures along a lake. And Bill had told me, he said, you know, I only know one person that's ever lived up here. And I, he, a, a guy named Ron Birdall. And... Um, I, I don't even know how I could find him. And anyway, we stopped to take some pictures along the, the road to Carcross. And um, there was a sign that said property of Ron Birdall <laughs> <laughs> and a phone number. So, yeah. so they found each other again. Oh, that's awesome. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So um, you run a public company now? Uh, Snowline Gold. That's right. And you are having great success right now up in the Selwyn Basin. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's been great. And that actually comes out of uh, the prospecting work that my uh, father uh, and and I have done over the years, starting with his work in the in the 80s and, and dragging me out into the bush as a little kid. And uh, um, also uh, really almost uh, propelled by like rocket propellant uh, by by Bill's addition uh, back in uh, 2010 to that project, um, to what's now Snowline's flagship project. And um, yeah, we launched Snowline out of uh, various private prospecting assets that we'd been essentially unable to sell over the doldrums of the past 10 years, but that looked, you know, they were just too good not to uh, to continue to push forward in some way. And so uh, public vehicle ended up being the best option. And uh, we we ended up gathering investment to uh, to give these targets a try, and uh, and they've panned out in a very big way with uh, a pretty exciting discovery, uh, particularly at our 
Valley Target on the Rogue project. Um, and uh, yeah, we're we're really excited. Uh, it it looks to be a, a pretty phenomenal um, uh, gold discovery, uh, and uh, and it just ticks a lot of the right boxes for for exactly what we were hoping to find. Excellent. I'm 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 really really happy for for both you and your dad. I know, I know how much effort you've both put into prospecting and developing uh, assets, um, and it's and it's so nice to see. So so my my first question is how did and and I'm good. I think I know the answer. But how did you end up in this sector? Because I love everybody's sort of entry story. Yeah. So and so I alluded to it there. Basically, uh, I think the short answer is Stockholm syndrome. Um, the longer answer is uh, is my dad uh, dragging my brother and me out into the bush um, when we were, uh, you know, from a very young age, um, and uh, and so we worked out there, and uh, and I spent summers there as a as a kid, uh, just kind of various places in the Yukon, um, and this was sort of uh, maybe not pre GPS, some of it was pre radio phones, or at least pre us being able to afford those things, and so it'd really be you know a topo map. Uh, a target that my dad had come up with and uh and we'd just find the nearest float accessible float plane accessible lake uh sometimes that would be you know a 10 or more kilometer hike away from where you actually want to go and we just get dropped off out there with uh with a tent and a few weeks of supplies and and then the plane would would disappear with the promise to come pick you up in two to three weeks or whatever the set date was and then you hike out to the to the target and you hike around in the mountains you collect rocks and soils and uh, and fight bugs and bears and everything else and uh and just hope it doesn't rain uh and then uh then yeah you come back to the lake on the on the date that the plane's supposed to come in and, and hope that it shows up and sometimes it does and sometimes you uh if generally if you pack up your tent optimistically the plane won't show up so so you leave your tent standing and scramble to pack it up just as the plane comes um and anyway so it was you know doing that uh growing up that really um uh in me, uh, it just got me uh, really excited about exploration in general. It got me excited just about being out there in the first place. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, it was a fairly unique upbringing, even for the Yukon. And so I was, I was uh, pretty lucky to be in that position and uh, and ultimately wanted to stick with it. And, then, and you, you went away to school eventually, did you not? That's right. And so I actually started out, uh, I went to school down in the States and uh, started out in aerospace engineering. Um, uh, and after a couple of years of that, uh, just kind of reflecting on how I'd grown up and where I wanted to go, I switched into geology and uh, I ended up with a, a geology degree. And then uh, 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 fast forwarding a few years from that, uh, after the uh, the gold exploration boom in, in 2010, 2011, uh, when the doldrums hit again through much of the past decade, I ended up back in school and uh, had a fair bit of prospecting experience under my belt at that point and uh, and you know quickly learned that prospecting is is as much business as it is science. And so uh, I went back to school for uh, well for degrees in in both uh, business and science. So uh, ended up studying more geology, really uh, kind of applied mathematics, uh, what you do in in a lot of geophysical processing methods and uh, geostatistical estimations of, for example, ore bodies, um, and uh, and then did an MBA uh, as well. So kind of, uh, yeah, took advantage of the slow times to uh, to try to build out my skill set uh, to so that I could ultimately run with something like Snowline. And and I and I seem to recall that you were working in the Middle East for a while. I actually going to school there. Um, oh, that's I, what it was. Okay, okay, sorry. 
Yeah, so the uh, so that uh, masters that I I referenced um, that was in Saudi Arabia um, at a at a new university or at the time a new university called the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology. They were looking to build basically the MIT of the Middle East, and uh, and they had headhunted uh, fantastic faculty from all around the world, and uh, uh, the resources available to students were incredible, and it was really just neat to to be able to go into a closed country and. Uh, and explore. Um, and so, you know, I wanted in a master's to get more out of it than just the, the academic parts and the academic parts were top notch with the, with the, um, again, the faculty that they'd recruited, but the, uh, and so that was great, but the opportunity to live in Saudi Arabia for two years was also, uh, really incredible. We were right on the Red Sea, um, spend a lot of time with, uh, some students from the Marine, uh, research facility out diving and snorkeling and helping on projects in the Red Sea, Wow. As well as uh, you know, exploring in Google Earth, looking up to uh, ancient, uh, well, King Solomon's mines and that sort of thing, and other uh, really interesting uh, places that you know in any other country would be famous national parks. And uh, since they're tucked away in Saudi Arabia, uh, you can't even find an English language uh, uh, Wikipedia or, or internet article um, on them in general. And so you just find something like that, and, and you maybe drive out nine hours on a Friday night and Saturday morning, and uh, and spend the weekend just exploring some canyon with with two thousand year old tombs or something like that. It was really just an incredible time. So um, yeah, it was uh, definitely a, a bit of an unorthodox approach, I guess, but uh, got the uh, got the education I was looking for, and and got uh, a lot more than that as well. So you're you're very well traveled. You're very well educated. Um, you have a um, a wanderlust. Uh, why? And I, you know, I, I get asked this question too, because I spent 25 years or plus <laughs> in the Yukon. Why the Yukon? Why did you go back there? Well, the Yukon is a fantastic place. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's the geological potential, obviously. Um, but just the, uh, I, I guess the, this place itself, you know, it's, uh, it's, home uh, for lack of a better word or maybe that is the best word um it's uh yeah it's it's pretty unique um in terms of what i've seen all over the world uh there's uh, a lot of space uh, it's a uh, you know and growing up too uh we uh, uh in the prospector sort of fashion i guess uh we grew up in a fairly uh like a, a single room cabin um with uh, with no power no running water uh and that sort of thing and it's out in the woods and and as a kid, if, if that's what you're born into, it's just like, this is, you know, this is great. And so I, I have a kind of heavily romantic version of it. I'm sure it was a little bit different from my dad's point of view, trying to raise two kids uh, in that context. And, um, but, uh, you know, and so, um, so yeah, I look back on that pretty fondly and it's, it's pretty hard to replicate that anywhere else in the world these days, but uh, I'm definitely happy to be back in the Yukon. Uh, I, I love the, the territory itself, the wilderness here. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just home. Yeah, I I I get it. Um, when I moved up there, um, I lived in Faroe initially for many years, mm -hmm. and uh, first trip to Dawson was about I don't know, like ten months after I had moved there, and uh, I didn't expect it, but something happened when I crossed the Stewart River at Stewart Crossing, and for the first time, I felt I was home. And I had never felt that before. So I, I completely understand what you mean. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, it does have um, 
incredible mineral resources. Um, and, and I think the Yukon is very fortunate to get people like you back. I know it's a huge issue is a lot of young people move away and to be able to come back, um, you can get so much more experience up there than you can um, in other places. That's the way I always viewed it. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think there is a mentality um, among, uh, you know, especially uh, kids growing up here and uh, and my uh, class and generation is no exception to that, where, um, you know, you're kind of expecting to go out into the world and do big things out there. And that if you move back, it's kind of, you know, uh, there's a little bit of a stigma on it that like, okay, a bit of a failure to launch or, or that sort of a thing. But, uh, but like you say, uh, at the same time, you have people just running here from Ontario and other places who come up here and their jaws are just on the floor as to um, how nice it is and how many opportunities are available and that sort of a thing. And so, yeah, the the uh, kind of local exodus is, uh, I think, if you put more of a lens to it and just get out of the the pressures that you might face in terms of high school social perceptions or something like that, it's, uh, yeah, and it's a great place to be. And it makes a lot of sense to to come here for uh, for the opportunities that the Yukon has at hand. You know, I I was always, people were amazed when I was younger, you know, I'm 60 now, so I'm a bit older, but when I was younger and they would ask me, you know, what I, what I had done and I would tell them all the things that I had done in my career and they couldn't believe that I could do so much at a young age. Well, the, the you get so much opportunity in a district like that, that, um, and, and you know, look what you're doing with, with the public company right now. It's, um, it's phenomenal. So a question. Are you a prospector or a geologist? <laughs> I don't think it, they're mutually exclusive. In fact, uh, they're not. Um, so I would I'd put myself in the middle of the Venn diagram, I guess. Um, although I do get, uh, I guess my back gets up a little bit subconsciously when someone just calls me a geologist. So uh, maybe on the side of the Venn diagram, still in the middle, but uh, I'd, I'd place myself closer to the center of the prospector circle than the, than the geologist circle. And I, I think it really just comes down to your... Uh, you know, your motivation and your drive for uh, what's kind of uh, igniting your passion to be there. And um, if it's, you know, geologists are, uh, and again, there's a huge amount of overlap, but geologists are probably more driven by the science and, uh, and you know, it's a very interesting field to be in. Um, uh, uh, whereas prospectors are are also entrepreneurs and driven by the opportunities and, uh, and the potential that you see there. And so um, there's no reason that you can't be both. Um, and I, I definitely get excited by both sides of the coin, but, uh, but at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, I, I, don't think that I could sit there, um, working for, for a company, uh, just, uh, as a geologist for an entire career. So that's, uh, that's actually, I, I lasted about a summer after I got my geology degree, not even the full summer and was back into prospecting. So definitely, uh, more on the prospector side. Oh, prospectors are, are, are interesting people. <laughs> and I'm married to one, so I can talk about it. <laughs> a geologist and a prospector um, who says he's a prospector. But but um, love of the land, huge, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's something not to try to steer the conversation to Snowline or anything, but that's something that I think is important in the DNA that we're trying to infuse into Snowline is, uh, you know, it's, yes, we're driven by the opportunities here, but uh, I think uh, and it, this extends beyond myself, really, into the a lot of the key members of our team um, is just that we do love being out there and, and we do want to build a company uh, around that sort of philosophy that uh, 
you know, the love of the land is, is, is a big thing and a critical factor. You know, we're exploring out where we explore in part because we like being out there and, uh, and, you know, we don't want to, uh, to explore irresponsibly and to develop irresponsibly out there. So, um, so that really underpins a lot of the approach that we take uh, as we explore and as we move things forward out there. You know, I, I think that's a really important discussion point because I, you know, living in the U.S. now, um, a lot of environmental NGOs, um, a lot of them are based in the cities. And, and I don't think there's a real appreciation uh, either with the groups or sometimes with the public that when, when you are in this industry as a prospector, geologist, whatever, you love the land. So you, of course, are going to take care of it. This is you are so you have so much more connection to the land than groups that are not there. It's 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 your bread and butter, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, really is the connection to the land that, that that answers your earlier question as to why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, I think that answers multiple of your earlier questions on how my trajectory took shape. I, you know, I I love being out there. I love exploring. I it's because I love the land. Yeah. So tell me about Snowline and how far you've come along and where you're going. Because I know uh, you've had the company for a few years and you've made some great discoveries, maybe just a, a little background on where you've been and then where you're going. Uh, that sounds good. So um, yeah, uh, just a little bit more on kind of the uh, prehistory of the company. We launched in March of 2021. So we're just over two years old now. Um, and we'll be entering into our third field season as a company uh, in about a month. And um, we, uh, but prior to that, um, so again, this comes out of uh, a whole bunch of projects uh, that uh, my dad initially, and then my dad and and I uh, worked on, as well as my brother, um, although he didn't get Stockholm syndrome quite as bad as I did, um, <laughs> and managed to get away. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, we in around uh, twenty, uh, well, two thousand nine, as I mentioned, when I first met Bill, uh, my dad and I had been prospecting out in. Uh, this area called uh, the Emerald Lake or the Rogue Plutonic Complex. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's uh, now Snow Lion's flagship project. But um, but we saw this whole suite of or series of intrusions out there um, that had a lot of anomalous gold geochemistry coming off of them. They had some interesting historical work done, but very limited historical work. And, um, and I had just taken a short course that Craig Hart uh, was one of the teachers and uh, Craig Hart, of course, is well, National Alliance chair, but also um, he was uh, or he is a, a fairly well-known, uh, world-renowned researcher on on certain types of gold deposits, including reduced intrusion-related gold systems. He basically wrote the book um, or one one of the co-writers of the many papers on these um, uh, kinds of systems. And so, uh, you know, he had he had talked about these in this roundup short course, and uh, and I just remember looking at the slides that he put up for this Mike Lake uh, kind of Idaho Oro area, Brewery Creek area, and looking at the place that uh, that we were exploring in. And I, I think I just put that slide up next to the mag data from with the geochem from uh, from where we were. And um, and my dad took that slide and, and showed it to Bill. Uh, um, and, you know, Bill, I think, jumped out of his chair. I, I don't know what he did exactly. But, uh, but you know, next thing we knew, we had... Um, uh, we were out there staking full on. Um, you know, he gave us a wonderful, uh, very fair uh, deal in terms of you know allowing us to build on our idea and uh, and go stake the claims that we wanted to stake and uh, and rolling them into an option. 
uh, with uh, with Golden Predator, and so that was uh, that was fantastic. And uh, really, I, I think there you know there are so many people to credit in this discovery. I was kind of thinking like, who made this discovery? Um, and really, nobody did, and, and all kinds of people did. And Bill is is one of those people. Um, and um, uh, because he you know he took the swing on seeing the just seeing that side by side, seeing the data, seeing what was staring us in the face. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he put the resources in, uh, to give it that first initial shove. And so we got a big land position from that. Uh, unfortunately in the interim, we had to let a lot of that drop, but Snowline has now picked it uh, back up and, um, and, uh, yeah. And he did the, the baseline work to, um, basically a really intensive, uh, stream geochem program that, uh, picked up on a lot of anomalies like Valley, which, you know, at the time wasn't on any, uh, government geological maps. I'm not sure that it is yet, but it will be. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then the prospecting the next year, the streams was 2011 prospecting in 2012, um, uh, led to, uh, the discovery by, uh, Shane Carlos, uh, Yukon prospector, golden predator, um, of the actual outcropping mineralization of the Valley intrusion, um, following up on that silt's work. And then, uh, yeah. And then unfortunately the, you know, it was 2012. And so the markets kind of just fell apart and, uh, and I know that uh, Bill and Golden Predator liked the projects, but they had to uh, eventually, um, you know, give a lot of things back. And, and Golden Predator focused on a lot more uh, advanced assets. And um, and yeah, so and, and as I mentioned, we kind of held on to what we could, but there was a time when we basically just had a, a couple of postage stamp claims over part of Valley and a couple more on the initial target that we were exploring called Gracie. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was effectively it. Um, and so, uh, but without that, you know, without that first kick of the can, we wouldn't have had what we had to, uh, to go on when we did launch Snowline, you know, Valley was high in my mind and I just had a serendipitous run into, um, to Shane Carlos. Uh, and, you know, he was, Oh, anything going on with that Valley? Uh, you know, that's one of the best things I've ever seen. And, um, and, you know, we had, by that point, we had restaked a whole bunch and we're keen to get back out there. And I think we might've even been doing work on it at that point, but, uh, and all, all that's a very long-winded kind of preamble to, uh, you know, that's where we were. Uh, I, I couldn't, despite those results, despite what Golden Predator had found out there, uh, you know, I couldn't give these things away. And I was actually trying to, um, you know, saying, take it, run with it, maybe a third or fourth year option payment and an NSR or something. Um, but of course, uh, you're probably shooting yourself in the foot as a salesperson trying to make a pitch like that because it sounds like there's something wrong with it. And uh, ultimately I, I made a pitch deck for an imaginary company just to try to speak the language of, of juniors and, and potentially majors in the space. And, um, and it, it really kind of backfired in that I got uh, investors instead of purchasers. And so um, in the, in the long run, you know, happy for the backfire, but uh, that's, uh, that's really how Snowline came to be. Um, I think that the next person to, to see that and to take a big swing at it, uh, it was, uh, well, there, there are a few, but uh, Keith Newmeyer uh, really stepped up and uh, he was the one who brought the um, brought the shell uh, that we ultimately uh, RTO'd with. Um, he also put together the first financing for the company and really set us on our way. Um, and, uh, you know, his his connections in the capital markets were instrumental in, in getting us going. So huge credit to to Keith for um, for getting things going. And he's been a very supportive shareholder since uh, taking part in, in our financings, every financing um so far apart from, I guess, the last one, which was just a, a single party. Um, but um, yeah, and then uh, uh, Crescat Capital and, and Quentin Henney uh, were also 
uh, pretty keen on what we had found out there and uh, and showed a lot of support early on. So having those backers right out of the gate was was huge. And then of course, um, you know, uh, well we we launched with seven projects that we carved out of our private prospecting portfolio here in the Yukon, and uh, and really whittled them down uh, on on Keith's uh, recommendations of you know let's focus on gold. Uh, let's focus on what you see as having district scale potential, multi-million ounce potential. And so from that, we came up with uh, uh, seven projects out of our, our 21 that were, because we were prospecting kind of commodity agnostic uh, to an extent with a, with a focus on gold. Um, and uh, and yeah, so we, we came out with these all these greenfield targets, some of them staked by my dad in the 80s and never optioned. Um, and uh, so it's great to have the now the resources to test them properly. Um, and, uh, and yeah, of course the, the story has kind of taken shape, uh, on its own from there, um, with the drilling of Valley, uh, had some really nice sniffs in 2021, um, uh, some good ground plus hundred meter plus intersections right on the edge of the intrusion. And then early 2022, um, or mid 2022, but early season, uh, we, uh, stepped out in a big way right into the intrusion and got into the heart of a very strong reduced intrusion related gold system. Uh, you know, some, I, I think our best hole for the year was, uh, it was two and a half grams over, um, I've said this number so many times that I can't remember now, 319 meters um, from surface. Yeah, the, the top 108 meters of that hole averaged 4.1 grams per ton. Mm-hmm. And it's really consistent mineralization. Like it, the lowest assay in that top 108 meters is is a 0.6 or a 0.5. Um, and, and there are only, I think, five samples uh, within that that are that are below a gram. Um, so it's it, most of it's above two gram, like two thirds of the or sorry, three quarters of the whole are, are above two grams per ton. So just beautiful, consistent mineralization. And, and that's on, and doing big step outs, we're hitting, you know, uh, not that was the best hole, but still uh, comparable grades, like big uh, uh, 300, 400, even 500 meter uh, plus intervals of, of more than a gram per ton. And this is this is a type of gold deposit uh, or gold system that is um, uh, generally low grade. And that's part of why I think this district hadn't seen much attention. It was so hard to sell. Was that uh, you know the the uh, sort of textbook example of these is uh, is a big uh, ten million ish ounce deposit uh, called Fort Knox in Alaska, and uh, and it's it's very low grade. Um, you know their head grades starting out were I think 0.93, and and they're now down at around 0.3 grams per ton gold um, with uh, a gold only system. You're on trend with Fort Knox. Uh, yeah. Um, so. It's it, we're basically part of this big mid Cretaceous belt of intrusions that stretches across central Alaska and all the way to the east central Yukon and kind of curving down the Yukon NWT border, um, called the uh, the Tombstone Gold Province within the Tintina Gold Belt, um, and yeah, it just re- it related to a, a big subduction event in the in the mid Cretaceous that generated these intrusions. So it was the same event happening over that large scale, um, and then uh, the Fort Knox has been kind of truncated by. The Tintina Fault, which uh, moved it a few hundred kilometers up into Alaska and out of, uh, you know, what would otherwise be, I guess, the Dawson City area today. You know, uh, I remember that news release where you put out that 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 uh, continuous mineralization. That's just you just don't see that. Right? Yeah, like that was. I, I'm I, I'm exceptionally happy for you, you and your team. Um, but but what a what a great result. It was it was. Unbelievable. especially the first uh you know we we had other holes like that and and the first hole that came back uh with that kind of uh kind of tenor of results was hole seven and um 
and yeah, I, I remember opening the assay sheet and unfortunately I was just working by myself in, in this office and, uh, and you're just scrolling down and kind of no no know, no no I'm not really reading this alone <laughs> yeah yeah heart rate kind of going up and you're rechecking like this is the gold column right and uh and just seeing these numbers on page after page of multi-gram uh gram plus stuff is just like what is going on here that was uh that was tremendously exciting and uh yeah uh you know, a, a moment I'll always remember, but uh, yeah, it was too bad not to have anybody to high five at the time, but uh, the team <laughs> was certainly pretty excited. <laughs> somebody's there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Scott, it's been great talking today. Um, I, you know, I want to end it on that note because it's just such a high. Um, I just want people to be left with, they've got to go check this out. Um, go to your website, your symbols, SDD uh, on the CSE. Um what, what's your website and Twitter handle, all that? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, website, uh, it should be snowlinegold.com, is snowlinegold.com. Uh, Twitter, if you look up Snowline Gold, you will be hard-pressed not to find us. <laughs> I'm still not, uh, if anybody asked for my Twitter handle, I probably couldn't repeat it. So uh, Snowline <laughs> Gold. Um, best of luck. Uh, when do you go out in season? When do you start? Uh, we're looking at uh, opening up our camp uh, right in the middle of May, so less than four weeks away. Nice. Well, I wish you a great season full of uh, great success. You'll be doing a lot of drilling this year again? Uh, we will be. We have uh, we have three rigs uh, on site uh, ready to go, and uh, we'll be looking at uh, adding a fourth as well. So it's uh, going to be a big season for us. Nice. Well, I'll be watching and uh, wishing you all the greatest of success. Thank you, Scott. I really enjoyed this. Please um, give my dad your best. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Check out Snowline. S -G. Thank you, Janet. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you.